Welcome to the State of Developer Education, a podcast by Major League Hacking. We explore how technical leaders are creatively tackling the developer education gap to help prepare the next generation of technologists for the real world and build businesses that can adapt to any changes in the technology ecosystem. I'm your host, John Gottfried. Hi, everyone. I'm John Gottfried, co-founder of Major League Hacking, and I'm so excited. Today, we are talking to Sandalay Keswa, who is a senior software engineer at Google. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Pretty good, man. It's good to see you again. Um, Sandalay is a, a front-end leaning software engineer. Uh, he's a huge basketball nerd, great sense of humor, loves coffee, which I think he's drinking right now, and puzzles. Um, he loves hacking on consumer-facing side projects that augment the human experience, which we'll talk about a little later. Um, and Sandalay is actually an MLH alum. Uh, he ran a number of MLH uh, events and helped build the hacker community at Temple University, uh, which is where he got his BS in uh, computer science and mathematics a couple of years ago. Um, I am so excited to, to have you here, Sandalay. Yeah, happy to be here. Um, I don't do uh, podcasts often, so this is like a New You're more of a listener, not not a speaker. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm I'm what you call uh, uh, a lurker, I guess, on Reddit. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I I'm here for the content, but I never make any of the content myself. So now we're on the other side. Well, here you go, man. This is your start. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness, I'm breaking out. This is great. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, so I, I want to kind of start. Um, you know, where uh, a lot of folks in our community are right now, which is beginning their careers. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I know you've been at Google, I, I think about five years now, right? Yeah. And you went, you know, through that career path uh, of an individual contributor, right? Like yeah. software engineer, did amazing work, became a senior software engineer. Um, I, you know, I'm sure you've worked on some pretty amazing things over the years. I'd love to hear more about that. What, what are some of the projects you've gotten to work on over at Google? Oh, yeah, totally. Um, so um, I started working at Google, like you said, five years ago or just about, I don't know, give or take a few months. Um, and like, it was right out of school. And the first thing I worked on was in advertising, which um, at the time I was not thrilled by. Um, like, uh, you know, you don't associate advertising with interesting problems to be solved um, because like from like the user side, right? You just go to a website and it's just blocks of stuff. You know, it's like billboards right in your face. Um, but, you know, working in ads really showed me exactly like how vital the ads ecosystem is to what enables the web to be as, you know, as, as magical and interesting and, and wide reaching as it is now, you know, because, mm. uh, you know, display advertising, especially really unlocks a lot of those key features that you love about the web. Like you can go and read somebody's blog and that blog might be able to be self-sustained just because you get a little bit of ad revenue every time you know, an impression comes through. And, you know, that is pretty cool when you think, yeah. you know, you don't need money to enjoy some of the beautiful and interesting content that we have on the wide web. Um, but yeah, so I worked on a team called uh, Verification, Display Ad Verification, uh, which sounds like the most crufty, corporate-y, you know, it's, it's not a very interesting sounding problem, but it is actually quite interesting. So this team was specifically dedicated to making sure that, um, or this is the example I like to use, is like airline companies don't want to put their display ads on articles about plane crashes. 
that's not good. Right. Um, that would be very counterproductive. Exactly. Right. Disney doesn't want to put their ads for the new Mulan or whatever. Right. On um, on pages about, um, you know, uh, like like car crashes yeah. or something. Like you know, on like terrible news. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the interesting thing about that problem is like. People don't actually really ahead of time always know what they don't want to be placed like uh, next to, like uh, you know, in the real world. Um, and there's this team is basically dedicated to figuring that problem out, um, hmm. giving advertisers the tools that they need to make sure that their ads appear in the right spots. Um, and yeah, DDM verification taught me a lot of stuff, um, mostly about how machine learning is very hard. Uh, <laughs> it's like really difficult to get it exactly right but when you do you can enable some incredible incredible work um yeah so that was ddm verification i worked there for like three years um wow. and then after that i transitioned to google research um at uh, new york um focused on education so education has always been like a like a passion of mine um i don't know it feels like the almost like the thing that unblocks all avenues um mm-hmm. Like education is pretty much at the root of any interesting thing that any person might want to do. You always need to find out more. Um, And so I was working on a few education-related research projects. um, And one of the research projects that I was working on ended up kind of graduating, so to speak, um, and becoming like a thing that, you know, we're actually investigating actively and putting resources into. And that's under the Google Education umbrella. Um, Google Education this past year has had a very... Exciting year, I guess. Um, <laughs> Transitional year, maybe. Yeah, so some some products that you might have heard of, like Google Classroom, um, Forms, Chrome OS, uh, you know, uh, products like that. Like it, it has been like such a huge learning experience with all the changes that have happened with you know social distancing, and learning from home, and things like that. So it's been like it's been a very interesting time to be in the you know space that's the intersection of technology and education you know um lots of really interesting problems to solve and you know a lot of problems that you know have never had to be solved before like you know how do you even know that what you're teaching somebody is sticking if they're just a picture on your screen that moves yep. all the time? you know it's it's really really difficult to evaluate those those sort of things like i feel like a lot of the stuff that you know is is really important to the teaching process is like soft stuff, stuff that doesn't show up in the numbers, you know, like, uh, oh, this student has been um, daydreaming uh, a lot lately. I wonder what's going on. I'm going to go and dig in. Can I go and have a conversation? It's hard to pick that stuff up when, uh, you know, we're behind these video streams, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are, are you saying that technology can assist with that? Yeah, I mean, like, there, there are a lot of ways that technology can be adapted to be more helpful and more contextually aware of, like, specific things that should or should not be happening, I think, in education. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like, broadly speaking, the video call was, like, a basis, like, a foundation for making a lot of these use cases possible. But mm-hmm. it's almost not, it's not smart enough in its current form to, like, really facilitate productive classroom learning. Um and it, it, you know, uh, I think a good example is keeping younger kids engaged, right? Like, right. How, do you, how do you, how do you stick a six-year-old in front of a computer for six hours and and expect them to stay engaged the whole time? Like, that's crazy. Um, 
you know, and there, there needs to be, there needs to be an accounting and some innovation in that space to really figure it out. Um, because ultimately I think, uh, some aspects of what we've, we've taken away for 2020 are going to stick around, you know, like it, it's going to make more and more sense to enable some use cases where students can stay home and still get a great educational experience without being, you know, in close proximity with their teacher. Um, yeah, I mean, it definitely increases accessibility in some ways. And, you know, I think even for us, right, at MLH, we were historically this totally in-person community. And now we're really thinking about it as a hybrid model because, you know, it, it allows a, a certain amount of creativity that's not bounded by physical, like, space and requirements. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think, I think we've all been challenged to think about work and school in different ways. Uh, mm-hmm. The past year, and um, I don't know, you even look at the the technology industry and how you know the advent of remote working uh, posts have have really skyrocketed. You know, I wonder what that's going to do to the concept of a of like that split between work and, and home, and like how yep. how we how we manage like a virtual workplace. And, and what is a work day? Yeah, right. Day. Absolutely, okay. right. And and some of these notions that are as old as like the industrial revolution, right? Are are mm-hmm. you know we're, we're we're kind of taking them apart and doing a reaccounting of what's valuable and what isn't. Um, and yeah. I think that's that's pretty exciting um, from like the perspective of like I wonder what that will enable down the down the road. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny though that you mentioned that getting a six-year-old to stare at a screen for however many hours, six hours, eight hours is incredibly difficult because like, I mean, every six year old I know could play Minecraft for six hours, you know, like what is the difference between that and what they're getting in the classroom? Yeah. 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 Um, I I think there was like a, there was like a a Twitter thread that I was reading like a couple days ago. I was talking about some comments that Elon Musk made about like, uh, I think we're overthinking some aspects of education. It's like, Oh, okay. That's Mm -hmm. a whole thing to say. Um, but I think his point was basically that it's like, uh, you don't have to ask a kid to like play Minecraft. They're just going to mm-hmm. do it and they're going to do it forever. Um, they don't, they don't, there's like limitless, boundless energy for them to do that thing. It's like, can we channel that, that same, that same avenue of energy and curiosity and passion, um, towards a direction that has educational outcomes, 100% we can, right? We just yeah. haven't gotten creative enough to really make that possible yet, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I really distinctly remember, like, I grew up in the final years of dial-up internet yeah. when, like, computers were actually kind of a pain to use. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember, like, having these arguments with my parents where they'd be like, hey, like, you're on the computer too much, like, go do other stuff, blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, precocious little like six-year-old me would be like, no, 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 I'm learning stuff. And the funny thing is like, I I bet you kids who play Minecraft are saying the same thing. Like I bet you they're like modding and figuring out the circuits with whatever those red bricks are. And like, you know, there's an argument to be made that like education should be more fun and creative like that. And I think hackathons actually represent a lot of that creativity, right? Like you did a ton of hackathons, you organized hackathons, but you also got a CS and math degree, which is highly academic. Mm -hmm. Like how did those different things contribute to who you are as a developer? Right. Um, Yeah, that's, you know what, that's a fantastic question. Um, I don't know. So I I, I guess um, if we, if we run it all the way back to to undergrad and the, and the hackathon scene, 
the olden days. The olden days, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I think, I think there is value to to academia, and and you know, like, dedicating your dedicating yourself to like figuring out some, like some some really difficult methods of thinking and learning some history behind some of the important things that like drive progress today. Um, but I guess I had a realization um, in undergrad, and it was that. I think being a software engineer in the modern context is more like being a craftsman than being a scientist. Um, it's more about it's more about the techniques and the tools and the methodologies and the culture of it um, than it is about you know understanding necessarily the minutia of the theories that contribute to cool things like databases and TCP/IP. Yeah. Right, those things are all really important to understand, like theoretically. But you don't need to understand those things to like build an application that helps people get in a taxi and get to the airport, right? It's just mm-hmm. you don't need to know that information. Um, and so it's like this this uh, computer science is like um, at this really interesting kind of cross section between like practicum, like you know, basically the idea of engineering and those sets of skills, and like mm-hmm. and and like theoretical exploration and and figuring out new discrete mathematics to like solve like higher level problems right i mean like all is like distributed systems are a great example of like where computer science is necessary to building things that are actually practically helpful right um you know you need consensus algorithms you need um like uh all all these systems dedicated to like you know distributed ledger management you know there there are all sorts of things that you have to figure out that are very down the scientific route and avenue but then you bring them over and you implement them in the form of like you know uh like a horizontally scalable mysql now it's practical okay now it's a tool that people can use to build great stuff Um, yeah yeah so i don't know i guess when when people ask me like if you need to go and get like a degree um it really really depends what you want to do <laughs> you know like if you if you want to build the applications and services that people will use and need and, and want um i would argue that you don't need a computer science degree to do that um you know but if you want to build that infrastructure if you want to advance the state of the art unfortunately mm-hmm. you're gonna have to hop in you know you're gonna have to get theoretically sound um and really figure out like the the kind of the innards of discrete mathematics and, and computer science and all that good stuff. Yeah, I mean it's kind of like uh, if you were to compare like the people who do like molecular gastronomy with like a really good chef. Yeah. You know, right. like the chef right. may understand how to apply their skills incredibly well, but they're not like looking at the chemical reactions that drive a certain outcome, right? Right. And right. You know, I think computer science is somewhat similar, where like you're not going to be implementing, you know, a bubble sort algorithm. You're going to use one that's in a library, right. you know, and exactly. probably a better one than bubble sort anyway, but, yeah. um, yeah. exactly. And, you know, I'd argue it's like a completely different skill set to write a new bubble sort or like use an existing bubble sort and decide how to build maintainable software with it. you know, it's just, it's a completely different set of concerns. Um, mm-hmm. So whichever one of those things you want to do should really color like what, you know, how you structure your career and, and, you know, structure your time. Yeah. I mean, Google famously has a lot of these foundational technologies available as like tools, right. And as like 
you know, utilities for other applications. Like MapReduce is probably the most well-known example, but I'm sure there's many others that like someone did this crazy research project and came up with an incredible solution that's now used by thousands of developers or millions of developers. Right, absolutely. I mean, like that that part of Google's ethos is like one of the reasons why I wanted to work here in the first place. Like there are very few, I feel like there are very few large companies where... I could go from like display advertising to like educational research with like minimal, minimal, you know, minimal friction. Yeah. <laughs> like switch, you know, and it's like these are fields that are usually completely unrelated. But at Google, I went from could like, be totally different companies. Well, yeah, absolutely. But it's like at Google, I went from the fourth floor in New York to the sixth floor. That's what changed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it's, it's a big change. Um, you know, and so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of it. Um, but you know, I think, I think it's also, uh, it's given me time to reflect on, you know, I, I, I feel like as an industry, like we need like, like to advance culturally towards, uh, dedicating ourselves to actually solving problems. Like there's like this weird, like split, I feel like, um, in technology culture where, you know, everybody says that they're making the world a better place. Right. And it's like a meme. Um, because like they're building, you know, developer metric tools. It's like, yeah, sure. The world is slightly better now than it was before (laughs) metric tool. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, like we're at this, this super interesting time in history, right? Where we have like a bunch of big, complicated, very intimidating problems to solve. And we've never had more tools and more incredible people working on those problems. Right. Mm-hmm. We if we incrementally like build up to uh, to focusing on those problems more and more, even if it doesn't have necessarily like you know an economic benefit, um, like I think we should, and I, I think Google's really blazing the trail in that in that category. Yeah, I mean, I know you've done a lot of work on your own in in that way through the open source community as well, right? And I think in many ways that's like the perfect representation of democratizing really complex technology in a way that benefits a lot of people regardless of the business value. And you can make an argument about the business value kind of being there, but somewhat disconnected. But like, you know, there's nothing else like open source in the, in, in any other industry, right? It's this really novel thing. Um, how, how did you get involved with that, right? Because I, I think for a lot of developers, they go straight into the, the corporate side and everything they write for the rest of their career is proprietary. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, so I guess my my involvement with open source sort of goes back to um, like when I was in, you know, undergrad and uh, sitting around my dorm room figuring out what to do. Um <laughs> Uh, and you know, like, so I would say that hackathons help me find like a, like a friend group of, of that type of person that likes to create things and tweak things and mess with stuff mm-hmm. and figure out how stuff works. And like sort of the natural next step to having, you know, that sort of group of people with you is to like build, is to build stuff that other people can use too. Right. It's like this, this realization that like, oh, the hacking that you just did on like a Saturday night, oh, you figured out you know, how to get, uh, like, uh, when you press this button, you know, how, how to make like a, a bunch of different LEDs, uh, go start blinking on a, on a yep. 
um, that's that's shareable information. Um, and it's it's like that was that was sort of like my beginning into into open source is um, building a bunch of really stupid little projects, um, you know. And every once in a while, one kind of catches on a little bit, and you meet some people that are really interested in it. You get some pull requests, and you know it gets you even more invested in that community. Um, you know, open source is, is one of the coolest things ever, right? If you just step back and think about what it is, right? It's a bunch of people doing work towards things that are necessarily beneficial to somebody, right? Somewhere mm-hmm. for free, which is, <laughs> which is awesome. Like it's very, very cool. Um, it's a lot of, it, you know, you can find some of the most incredible engineers and thinkers and creators um, on the open source, um, like uh, playing field, so to speak. Right? You go on GitHub and you can learn so much about how to build great software um, and how to reason about difficult problems just by interacting with and like reading people's code. Um, which, like you know, I feel I feel, I feel is like such an, a competitive competitive advantage in like the technology field, right? Where it's like, you can literally educate yourself, right? And like, um, get, get to a level of proficiency that that I don't think in any other trade you could do um, through the same means, you know, uh, GitHub yeah. and GitLab and, you know, all of these other uh, social constructs built around open source are, are, are really powerful and they have network effects that, that make us all build better and greater and into more interesting things. Yeah, I mean, I was obsessed with uh, SourceForge growing up, which was like the precursor to, to GitHub in many ways. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, you're right that it, it, it gives people this ability to gain proficiency, but it also gives people an ability to have an impact, right? Like, yeah. where, how else could someone who, like, doesn't have a job, mm-hmm. but, like, has skills and passion create something that like millions of people use and obviously like you know you have to be able to pay the bills you know like that's that we can't discount that and many people who do open source have a full-time job that's not open source related but like any student could go on and make a pull request that goes into a project that's used by like every company in the world right you know and that's wild that's like never existed before in the history of like humankind yeah yeah yeah. that collaborative aspect to to solving complicated problems is is so encouraging you know that that, you know maybe just maybe these magnificent huge issues that we all have to solve are are indeed solvable if we if we all contribute a little bit towards the solution um you know that's that's a really cool idea yeah so I, i feel like you're touching on two kind of parallel trains of thought here, right? There's the technical problems that need solving, but then there's also like the practical user-facing problems that need solving. And, you know, I know that, uh, I think you said on your website that you build things that augment the hu- human experience, right? What, what does that mean yeah. exactly? How, how do you balance those two kind of competing forces? Yeah. Um, so I guess what I figured out early on is that, you know, I want to build things that make like a, make a real tangible impact to 
like human lives, you know, like I, I want, I want to build things that make it easier to learn how to fix a, like a, like your, your, your tractor. Like I, I want, I want to make stuff that makes it easier for you to figure out like when, uh, your, your crops are going to need watering. Um, so mm-hmm. more yields, right? Those are real, those are real tangible, actual problems to be solved that directly affect um, the things that humans need to do to like make this society possible, you know? And there are lots and lots of problems that technology can solve, right? And it, it, it can be very distracting to go and solve all of these immediate problems that don't necessarily like immediately impact what it is to be a person, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think um, augmenting, augmenting the, the human condition is my way of saying, um, I want to make things that make it easier for people to be people, um, you know, whatever that means. Um, and you know, that's a, that's a really like, uh, I guess that's a really lofty thing to say, but it can be things as basic as making it easier to call your grandmother or, mm-hmm. um, you know, making it easier for you to keep track of her recipes so that, you know, when you, when you make that shakshuka, right, that smell just brings you back, right, mm-hmm. to the childhood. You know, that stuff is so important to what it is to be human, in my opinion. Um, and technology right. is so powerful in, in, in those specific use cases, right? It just closes gaps. Um, yeah, so th- that's the stuff I really, I, I really aspire to build. Um, and I acknowledge that those are some of the hardest things to build, right? Uh, there are all sorts of ways to mess, mess that up. You know, those mm-hmm. are really difficult problems to solve. I think we're seeing uh, in the wake of the last few years of technology news that bringing people closer together isn't always a silver bullet, right? Mm-hmm. It's a complicated set of issues that you have to reconcile before you can really like uh, create like a like a beneficial set of network effects thereafter. You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I also feel like what you're saying, like augmenting the human experience. Like your definition of it is very, um, you know, I, I guess I would say personal, right? It's about how do you improve the things that people do to connect to one another, right? If I had to rephrase it, yeah. I think there's a whole movement of augmenting the human experience towards increased productivity, okay. right? Which is kind of a, a twist on what you're saying and gets down to like a really philosophical argument of like, how does being productive impact the human experience and what are the things that someone should be optimizing their life for and how does technology enable or uh in many ways like uh build that outcome yeah right right productivity yeah i mean that's also that's a that's a good that's a good question to ponder on and 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 meditate on like it's like what what is what is productivity in the context of like what it what it means to be a person? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's um, I feel like so in 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 the, like the economic conditions that many of us live in, right? Productivity yep. is like like a very necessary thing to optimize for, um, because it directly affects like what you can like the 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 helpfulness that you can offer to like people in your life and your family like how you contribute to society. Uh, it's the value of your time. Yeah, exactly. 
Right. And yeah, I mean, technology is, 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 I guess it's superpower is, is automation, right? You, like it's really, really good at, um, taking something that's very repeatable and then shrinking it down and, and saving you all the time that you no longer need to spend doing that re- repetitive thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say like building, building productivity, uh, tools and, and, and automation type tools is definitely like super duper important. Um, uh, but like, as it pertains to like, uh, solving, solving those big problems, I mean like, yeah, productivity software. Yes, definitely. May, you know, it makes a mark it, it helps us move the buck forward. But, um, I don't know. I, I feel like, um, in the society we've, we've constructed, it's uh we really overvalue like productivity from like an economic sense Mm -hmm. um like (laughs) it's just capitalism really uh uh, it 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 makes you really want to produce more and more and more and and you know consume more and more and more um but i think uh that's only like a a certain subset of problems that are optimized Mm -hmm. by by like you know increasing the efficiency of, of human beings um yeah yeah i don't know um that's a pretty yeah. I mean, it's a big question yeah <laughs> like i don't i have no idea i have no idea yeah i mean i, I always think about like i i think that somewhat menial required tasks make life more interesting in some ways mm. like I enjoy going grocery shopping. Right. Sometimes it's a pain in the butt. Like I don't really want to do it in the moment, but like the fact that I do it, mm-hmm. I think is actually valuable to me. Yeah. Even though I could trade that time for money to have someone else do it for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, and I, I always like reflect on that where it's like, do I want to devote more hours to, you know, let's say work, for example, or something else? Yeah. Or do I want to just like, do the required things to, to live a life? And I don't know, right? I mean, I think there's a balance there. And, and there are many things that I pay to not have to do. Yeah. And there are many things that I do, because I think that even boring stuff has value. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I mean, I totally agree with that. Um, I was talking to a, a friend of mine, actually, like a, a couple days ago, um, about um, this thing that he was trying to do with machine learning. Um, he, he was basically, he was trying to, um, <clears throat> it was handwriting analysis, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, a bunch of people were writing, uh, like, you know, math expressions, right. And we're trying to like turn those. There was, a, there was a winning hack at pen apps that did this probably not quite as well, but <laughs> no, I mean like it's a pretty interesting problem to solve. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's, it's directly helpful, right. Being able to intuit about and, and like reason about like mathematical expressions that somebody is writing on a piece of paper is like mm-hmm. yeah, we just that's something that needs to be done right um but he was having uh, a bunch uh, of issues with like all of the different ways that people could draw like the f in f of x right it's like all sorts mm-hmm. of different notation styles and like how old the person is that's writing it has a huge impact on like how this like what it looks like, how reliable it is, how consistent it is every time mm-hmm. you write f of x, right? There's a lot of variance. Um, 
Uh, and uh, like the model was failing. Like he, he couldn't get the confidence interval up uh, at a certain point. He had like a plateau. And like he was, uh, his, he was uh, hanging out at home and his, and <laughs> uh, he had a bunch of samples that were like really inscrutable, like really, really hard to read. But mm-hmm. like uh, uh, his girlfriend peeked over and was able to, with a hundred percent confidence, like just go through and like identify each of the different f of x's, you know, and like identify like what all the expressions are, and like it's just this strange realization mm-hmm. that like I don't know. Sometimes it feels like you know we all have the most powerful computer ever created in the history of the universe, right, in our heads. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think we really found a great way to to combine that with technology. Like we're trying to usurp it with technology. Like if you look at self driving uh, cars, uh, same same example. Right? It's like uh, we're we're trying to get level four self driving, um, which basically means we're just trying to get a computer to do all the things involved in driving. Yep. If there's like a bouncing tire on the road, the computer needs to reason about that. Right. If there's somebody that wants to cross in front of the car, the computer needs to reason about that. If somebody's trying to merge in front of you, the computer needs to reason about that. Right. Um, that is an incredibly difficult problem to solve because first you need to solve cognition. Right. You first you need to be able to uh, have a computer that can reason about a world arbitrarily without any context. Um, mm-hmm. That's something that we haven't figured out how to do. Um, yeah. That's something the brain is incredibly good at. Exactly, right. So if we could find a way to mix those two, use the strengths of both types of machine, human and and robot, right? Uh, I, I think I think that's really the, the path that we have to forge um, better than we currently have. And there's a lot of like, uh, I guess, human computer interaction research to be done in that particular avenue. Um, and, you know, I'm, exci- I'm excited to see where we go with it. Um, but it's, um, I think, I think the technology industry is over obsessing with, with like automating everything, right? Mm -hmm. Not everything is most optimally automated by a machine. Um, you know, um, I don't know how we got onto this topic, but (laughs) it's a good one. Are you a big sci-fi fan? Uh, yeah, I am a big sci-fi fan. Absolutely. Cause I feel like what you're talking about is like, you know, it's like Asimov, right? It's like iRobot, you know, Caves of Steel. Yeah. I mean, those were some of my favorite books as a kid. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, like, sci-fi, sci-fi is, is, is a fantastic-looking glass for, for human beings, right? It's like you can yeah. – you can. it's a great way to stand back and, and look at where this trajectory goes and, like, all sorts of different offshoots. Um, and it's, like, some of, some of my favorite uh, – books in the world like i'm um right now i'm reading the three body problem uh, yeah i read that recently yeah it's um which is a great read highly recommended um mm-hmm. but uh there are there are a bunch of really really interesting um takes on like all these different scenarios that that could affect uh where humans go next you know um and sci-fi is really great for that uh, yeah, and it kind of shows the best and worst case scenarios of how humans react to and use technology. Yeah, exactly. Um, and to some degree, like <clears throat> humans and technology, now that's a relationship that goes back for a very long time. I mean, we're like the thing that made our species different really is like being able to use tools or technology to get like advantages from a fitness mm-hmm. standpoint. 
you know, tools, tools are what make us human. Technology is what makes us human in a certain way, which is a weird yeah. thing to think about. Um, so I think it's, it's really important that our relationship and, and our usage of technology is done in such a way that it, that it, that it enhances what it means to be a person, you know, and like meditating on what that means is really important. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, uh, are either of your parents developers? <clears throat> so, um, my, my dad was like a, like a mathematician, um, mm -hmm. like financial stuff, but is now a data architect. I forget how that happened. Um, <laughs> so I guess kind of, yeah. Um, and then my mom, uh, was a geologist, um, but is now a data scientist. So I don't know how that <laughs> technology, I guess, ate the world overnight. Um, well, all things converge on data science, maybe. Yeah, basically. I mean, like it, it seems to be like a really powerful force outside of like the technology sphere, or I guess the technology sphere is just maybe growing to encompass these things. Um, so they both like, oddly enough, they write code now. Um, I was going to ask if like how they would explain what you do. Cause my parents have never been to a hackathon and don't get it at all. Yeah. And they probably do get it really well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, to a certain extent they do. Right. Yeah. But like in some ways they don't, I think, uh, especially, uh, for my mom, like technology is just like a, it's like a means to an end. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, I mean, like I want to analyze this set of data. I will use pandas and I will use NumPy and I will use mm -hmm. like all, you know, all of these, like I'll use Keras to like analyze the information that I have and create a model and whatever. And then I'm done. I did it. I analyzed the data. Great. Moving on. Um, whereas like, I, I think like, you know, being, being like a hacker is like a much more intimate, like uh, relationship that you have with technology, right? Like uh, technology mm -hmm. is like your collaborator, um, mm -hmm. like while you do cool stuff. You know, and sometimes you just do stuff to do stuff, um, you know, and so like explaining what 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 it means to go to a hackathon. I remember to my dad, my dad was just like, why are you doing this over and over and over again? <laughs> you know, it's like a great question, but it's really because like um, being a hacker is, is being a creator. It's 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 a, it's it's self-expression at the end of the mm -hmm. day, uh, which is like uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't I'm sure feel like it or look like it, um, to like, uh, I like at first glance, but that's really what going to hackathons is, is like using technology as your paintbrush and your canvas, um, you know, and yeah. painting something nice. I, I love that. I mean, I always think of hacking as this intersection of art and science. And, um, we, we were like, doing a bunch of research years ago to figure out like, how do you describe the like ideal of a hacker, right? Like what words can you use? And we happened upon this uh, term autotelic, which means someone who gets pleasure from the, the process of something yeah. uh, rather than the outcome, oh, right? Yeah. And I feel like that describes a hacker really well because yeah. even when a project fails, often people leave feeling like they had this like incredible learning experience or yeah. social experience or just like, you know, tackle something that was creative and difficult. Um, and yeah. the output is not necessarily the point. Yeah. I mean, like some of my fondest memories are like failed hacks, like, <laughs> it's like hacks that didn't go anywhere, you know, yeah. like, um, I think it was like pen apps, 2014 fall or spring. I, I forget which, uh, but uh, me and a friend of mine, 
we're trying to uh, like build like an audio social network. So, so like something like um, approximating. Um, man, what's that? Clubhouse? Is that it? There it is. Yeah. Uh, it was very clubhouse y. You were a couple of years too early there. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, it was a little bit early. It didn't really, uh, I missed, missed the window. Um, but yeah, we, we had all sorts of issues with like, um, like getting the recordings just right and like our sharing model and, and, and all that stuff. But what I remember most is that, um, so, uh, at Temple, we would bring like basically like all of the people that would hack around on weekends and stuff in, in the ACM office, like we would all just descend on a hack zone. Um, and we did that all the time. And like a lot of people that we brought with us just started trolling our application. Like they were just like, they hopped in and then they started, it was like this really weird thing. I guess this is what happens when you get delirious. It's like four or three a.m. <laughs> on yep. like a Saturday night and you've been awake for 36 hours, right? It's like people hop in and they would just like, they would just fill up our database with like, like mouth sounds. Like they just eat like really close to a microphone. It was just the most. Yeah, so far, you know? Like, and then, you know, they put like great comments on it. Like you think they're, they're going to say something really cool. It's like, oh man, like I recorded this song. It's like, oh, a song, great. Hit play. And it's just like, like just like this, <laughs> somebody eating like something disgusting, like yogurt, you know, it's a visceral uh, mouth sound. There's going to be a clubhouse like room that's just dedicated to that. <laughs> yeah. But like, that's yeah. one of my favorite memories. And it was the most ridiculous thing. We ended up not even um, uh, submitting the hack because it was so incomplete. Um, but like, it was, it was, it was so much fun. I laughed for, for hours. Um, it was, it was great. Um, but like that, yeah, that's absolutely, I completely agree. Like going, going and hacking and doing something like that is so much about the process. Um, and, and so little about the product. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How similar is that to something like Google research, right? Like I would guess those are very moonshotty pro products. Um, what was that like? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like Google research is definitely like <clears throat> a little bit more structured. Um, mm -hmm. I would say like, like most of the, the, the projects that are ongoing, um, are like based on a particular paper or, or a particular concept um, that's been explored like by a bunch of like uh, subject matter experts and eventually they pull in some engineering support, they pull in some project managers and it might graduate to be something more interesting. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it is, it, I, I guess I haven't thought about it that way, but it is a very similar situation uh, to like the, the hacking idea right is mm -hmm. where you're you're just meditating on a concept um and really seeing where it takes you because you don't know um you know oftentimes when you go to a hackathon you start with one idea and you finish with another one um you know in research i think it's very much the same way you start you start thinking that you know reality is some way and then you find out that it's another one um and the product that results from that or it doesn't result from that is very much a you know it's fluid and it really depends, you know, on unknowns. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Google research is very much like that. Um, things kind of get created and, 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 and fade away all the time. And, you know, you're, you're just sort of trying to find something compelling um, enough to, like, actually make it out there into the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So I, I would imagine that, like, as you're working on these more bleeding edge products, that there is, 
you, you mentioned that you're kind of like meditating on an idea, right? And working it. Yeah. Um, how, how much of your time is spent doing versus uh, experimenting and learning, right? Like, yeah. like, how would you actually break that out? Well, I would say like lately, it's been a lot more doing um, mm-hmm. because that kind of the early phases were more researchy, like, and more like, uh, I'm gonna build a prototype that looks like this. We're going to do a few UX trials, see what happens. Does it affect learning outcomes? Maybe, maybe not. <clears throat> maybe let's try it on eighth graders instead of third graders. You know, it was much more iterative um, and, and sort of, um, you know, we were really just trying to get like a, we were, we were tracing the shape of something interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Then we finally, I think, found the heart of it <clears throat> like a, a year and a half ago. Um, and now we've just been building it actively. Um, you know, well, what is it, if you don't mind me asking? Well, it's not released yet, so I can't, okay. <laughs> Secret. I can't talk about it in depth. Um, but it's basically, it's an, it's a, it's a next generation educational learning product, right? Um, okay. Very much um, personal. Very mysterious. Yeah, very mysterious. I know. Um, <laughs> I hate how, um, yeah, it, it sounds, it sounds so ridiculous to say like, oh, it's going to be great. Just wait. Um, you know, but I mean, like, it, it, we're still, we're still very much in the weeds of trying to figure out how it's going to work. Um, and who it's been before. It's going to be like the matrix, right? Where you just like go into the simulation yeah. and you snap and you know a new scale. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, in fact, yeah. it's a perfect uh, description. Um, it's going to change the whole game. <laughs> I got inside info. <laughs> Probably won't be like that, but um, it's, um, yeah, I mean, like we're, we're, we're definitely seriously going back to first principles on what it, mm-hmm. what, what, what the learning process looks like in the classroom and how you literally get from the, you know, the base floor of a concept to like the top floor, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's a bunch of journeys that like everybody takes. And, and generally I think in education, we kind of summarize for everybody, right? We generalize the process that everybody takes like, Oh, you learn long division. And then <clears throat> after that, somewhere along the lines, uh, we, we graduate to, to algebra. And then once you know algebra, okay, so we have relations and we're going to, we're going to take you to it's like do you know the quadratic formula it's like and it's just like this 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 path that is like mm-hmm. so well trodden right that you almost have to take it but you know in 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 these different interesting and, and sometimes really challenging areas of education i think it makes sense to take alternate routes um and build tools that facilitate that exploration um and that's sort of what this product is is somewhat about it's um it's about making those 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 tiny journeys um, like a much more formalized part of the educational process. Make uh, make it a lot easier uh, to learn things in alternate ways. Um, yeah. So that's yeah, that's the idea. Um, but as you can tell, it's very lofty and weird. And you know, yeah. um, how do you even do that? That's a great question. We don't know. We're figuring it out. Um, and maybe we'll never figure it out. But that's sort of the beauty of research. Um, you know, you're chasing, you're chasing after the golden snitch and maybe you catch it and maybe you don't. Um, yeah, so that's, 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 that's what, uh, I'm up to right now, but I'm mostly like in the building phase of that because we have, we have basically like a, a bunch of different ideas about what we want to actually come up with. Um, and now we're, we're just trying to build up all of the, you know, the foundation of the house, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. um, and then see what happens next. Yeah. 
it's interesting when you're talking about education i'm like reflecting back to the ways and places that i have learned the most and you know i, I think for me a lot of that was heavily dependent on the person who was teaching me it yeah right yeah like great teachers great managers great mentors have you had people in your life who were you know so incredible that they influenced how you think about education yeah well i mean um i guess my number one mentor would be like my dad which is like a i guess like a Aww. yeah cliche <laughs> maybe a cliche answer but um yeah so my my dad was raised in a in a, apartheid south africa um mm -hmm. and education is really how he escaped um his situation right um and like it was it, it really took like a few special teachers that enabled him to come to college in the US and like build a whole life and a career, um, which, you know, when he was like 14, he had no con conception that that's what would happen. Um, and that's sort of the, the power that education brings, right? It, it broadens your, it broadens your world completely, right? Yeah. Um, and it's also the power of great teachers to do that as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, like he, he, like in raising me, I think, um, you know, he instilled in me like this, this, this reverence for the importance of education and the importance of like the, the social atmosphere built in educational contexts, like classrooms and, and, you know, student teacher relationships, you know? Um, yeah. And I, I think that's really guided what I, I do for a living. Um, uh, you know, um, I think that stuff is really, really important um, and mm -hmm. uh, really, really difficult uh, to do. Um, yeah, but I mean, like from like a like a broader mentorship angle, like there there are a bunch of like uh, programmers and thinkers and creators that I think um, really influenced me and continue to influence me. Um, like while I try and build real things, you know, um, like Raph Levian is one of my favorite, um, front end engineers, um, mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to read his musings on like how to build front ends better, um, and more performant and more interesting ones. Um, like Ihani Ikuchuku, um, is doing some really great stuff in, in the, in the front end space as well. Um, and I follow him, um, then like on the other side of things, like, uh, Brian Cantrell has, has uh, made some of my favorite talks ever. Um, yep. and he has all sorts of resources on like how to be a great manager and TL Brian Lyles, same thing. Um, a fantastic technology leader. Um, you know, finding, finding people to model your game after, so to speak, um, is, uh, is, is really, really helpful. Um, especially if you ever get to have a conversation with one of those people, um, you can learn a lot. Absolutely. That's awesome. Um, so uh, is there any advice that you might offer to up and coming engineers, you know, who are maybe where you were five years ago? Mm. Yeah, totally. Um, so I think um, there's a, there's a lot of information out there, like recommending that people, you know, go and do boot camps and, and, and read all sorts of resources and, you know, and, and go and take specific classes. But I mean, like, I guess this is biasing towards my own experience, but the best way to learn how to build uh, a chair is to build a chair badly. Um, that's just, that's just, that's how it works. Great analogy. Yeah. Um, if you want to learn how to build software, build software poorly. 
do it. Go out there and build the most ridiculous, useless, like barely works piece of something, right? And then throw it at your friends and see what happens, right? And then continue iterating on that. Keep building. Um, because ultimately, it's like I was saying before, is like software is a craft. It's, it's a trade. It's not, it's, it's not, well, it's not really so much a science as people expect it to be. Um, so the best way to learn how to do something like that is to like apprentice under somebody or, or work with a bunch of people who know how to do it better. Um, and you'll learn so much so quickly. Um, so that's, that's my recommendation. And it's like, I guess that recommendation doesn't like really address the, should I go to college? Should I go to grad school? You know, where should I work? Um, but you know, that, that core mantra of like continue to build and build better every time, um, has really kind of, um, instructed my path, I think, um, through the industry. Yeah. I mean, be prolific and people won't remember the stuff at the beginning. Right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Um, yeah. Everybody conveniently forgets all of the failures until the first success, I think. Um, but yeah. most failures are so important. Uh, which of course is a cliche thing to say, but it's, it's, it's so true. Um, you really can't succeed without failing a million times first. That's good advice. Um, so uh, I always like to end on something that's totally unrelated technology. Uh, Cause I think that everyone I know who's a good programmer has a lot of varied interests outside of tech. Yeah. Um, what's something that you're super passionate about these days. That's not, uh, you know, tech related. So I think I was like during the pandemic, I went through like multiple poppy phases. <laughs> yep. Like like many people, I, I still have my sourdough starter. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The sourdough starter is like I guess it's like a common shared experience. I guess at this point, everybody's got one. Um, yep. But I think the thing that really stuck, or like I got sort of into uh, woodworking. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, just building stools and. Where the, I built a stool and I built some picture frames. And I was like, you know what? This is a, this is pretty dope. Um, and I think the thing I figured out is that it's very, it scratches very much the same itch as like as as hacking or like programming, mm -hmm. um, except that you get something physical at the end of it. So it's like, oh my gosh, this is great. Um, yeah, it's 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 a, it's a lot of fun. It allows you to like um, I don't know, really zone out um, and like. Uh, and, 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 and really figure, figure stuff out because it feels like something that should be obvious and easy. And then you try and do mm -hmm. it and it's like, wow, it's like actually really hard to build something great. Um, and it, it feels so yeah. analogous to software, but different, but the same, but different. Are you impacted by, uh, the wood shortage? Uh, yeah, big time. Um, okay. I've been on Craigslist, uh, with my binoculars looking for, um, uh, I, I almost got a hold of some walnut um that somebody like in uh in the south bronx is trying to get rid of um which would have been great because walnut costs fortune right now uh, yep. but uh yeah i mean you got to get creative nowadays to try and get wood um <laughs> it's, it's difficult it's difficult. I, you know i i had the same thing with flower man like when I got my sourdough starter, yeah, every grocery store was out of flour. I remember, and that. I ended up having to get like a fifty-pound bag from some restaurant supplier that I'm still going through. <laughs> yeah, you might be going through that for a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a lot. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, the other thing that, that I think has been taking up my time lately is just like so. I'm a I'm a basketball 
uh, nerd. Um, mm -hmm. And like the NBA added this thing, which has changed the whole game, which is called the play-in tournament. And it was like, okay. normally how the basket, like uh, the NBA playoffs work, right? It's like you play the regular season and then they take like the top eight teams by record in the East and in the West. And then they do like a, like a, like a series based uh, tournament, like where mm -hmm. the teams play each other. And then like the best team in theory comes out of that. Um, but what they did differently this year is instead of taking the top eight teams, right? They only take the top six teams and guarantee them a playoff spot. And then the bottom two slots, like, are, are basically like single elimination tournament between like the the 7th seed, the 8th seed, the 19th and the 10th seed like fight for those for those spots and it's led to some incredible games, right? And they're because they're single it's like a wild card. Yeah, exactly. Because they're single elimination, right? It's like this super like like super intense uh game the whole time. Um and there's really just no other um there's no other avenue for that in NBA basketball because it's mostly like um, they take all the variants out by by doing these really long best of seven series, right? So yeah. like uh, it's sort of the best of both worlds. Uh, I've been having a lot of fun with that. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I feel like uh, every major sports league has had to get real creative with like structure and rules, and it's leading some really really cool outcomes. Like I honestly think it'll be like a net good for forever, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The creativity brought about by like the uh the the challenges of playing sports in a pandemic i think will be a net positive um for me the sport viewer um i don't know about really anybody else but um i'm having a great time that's all that matters man um awesome well thank you so much i i certainly learned a ton by talking to you and uh i look forward to seeing your mysterious product at, at some point in the future yeah hopefully it actually ends up existing that would be great yeah no this has been uh this has been a lot of fun john thanks for having me on awesome my pleasure man happy hacking yeah yeah the state of developer education is brought to you by major league hacking or mlh to find out more about MLH and how we power innovation, cultivate developer communities, and teach technical skills to students around the world, visit mlh.io. And then make sure to search for developer education in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at MLH, thanks for listening and helping us empower the next generation of technologists. Happy hacking.